Well, we'll focus now on this burst of praise that comes at the end of um, Romans chapter 11. And uh, the end of Romans chapter 11 completes substantially what we call the, the doctrinal part of Paul's letter to the church in Rome. It's all about uh, the gospel and uh, how it's applied to our lives. When we reach chapter 12, there is doctrine in chapters 12 through to 16, uh, but it's substantially practical then how we build on the doctrines, how we live in the light of, of the gospel. And so in chapter 12, which we'll come to, God willing, next week, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. What's our response to the gospel? It must be, um, it's intellectual, certainly. I appreciate, I understand, I think through the implications. It must engage my heart, or else it's a, it's a dead service that I'm giving. But it must be a service. I must be moved to do something uh, in response to the glory of the gospel. But before uh, Paul is allowed by the Spirit to move on to the practical implications of the gospel. Uh, there's a pause, and uh, I love this little word that starts verse 33. Oh, <laughs> he's, uh, he's lost for words. What am I? Oh, what's the Spirit going to inspire me now to write out of my experience? Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God how unsearchable his judgments, how inscrutable uh, his ways. Big words there, unsearchable, inscrutable. You can't scrute it, you can't search it. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counsellor? Who's given him advice? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Who is God a debtor to? No, I tell you, for from him... And through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. And he finishes the whole section with an, an amen. And uh, may we all be able to say amen. So it's a great burst of praise. It's a song that comes from the heart of Paul and inspired by the Spirit. Oh, um, how? For and an amen at the end. There's poetry uh, here, or the depths of the riches. The Greek is interesting. Depths, bathos, riches, plutos, or the bathos of the plutos. These profound, mysterious depths that have actually been revealed to us. It's not a mystery to the Christian, because it has been revealed. A mystery is something we could never have worked out for ourselves, but God has revealed it to his people, if only we're willing to listen. And Paul has been inspired by the Spirit to open up some of these mysteries to us. And if we grasp them, then my soul and your soul is going to say, oh, oh, the bathos of the plutos, the depth of the riches the mysterious, profound deeps, the, uh, the abundant plentitude of. Now, listen here, Th think with me. All that we've gone through in, in Romans 
I don't know when we started, four or five years ago, somebody will have a record uh, somewhere when we started at Romans chapter 1 and verse 1. And here on this momentous occasion, we are concluding the doctrinal section. But oh, the depth of the, the riches of, and it should be of, I mean, I've got the depths of the riches and, and he goes on to speak of some attributes of God. But it is better translated, all the depth of the riches both of, and he mentions these attributes. Now, if you're looking at your Bibles, you'll know which attributes Paul's inspired to, to pull out. And I found it surprising, because I've often quoted this verse from, from memory. And, and knowing all that's gone before in Romans, about the mercy and the grace and the love of God in the Gospel... And when I'm freely quoting Romans 11 and verse 33, I would say something like, oh, uh, the, the depths of the riches of the mercy and the love and the grace of God. But they don't get a mention here. Interesting, they don't get a mention. There are two attributes that Paul's inspired to pull out here. And he's inspired to write them down for our instruction and when it comes to the depths of the riches, well, they relate to two attributes of God, and they are his wisdom and his knowledge. His wisdom and his knowledge. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and of the knowledge of God. The Greek word for wisdom, Sophia. And the Greek word for knowledge, Gnosis. Gnosis. The, the knowledge of, of, of God, oh, the depths of the riches of the knowledge of God. Paul's going to make a great point here that we've got to hang on to. The depths of the riches of the knowledge of God. We're thinking this morning about the person of Jesus Christ, who is the eternal Son of God. And an attribute that we brought out to show his riches, though he was rich. The, the knowledge of Jesus Christ, the knowledge of of the being of God, is unlimited and infinite in every way. That God knows absolutely everything. That there's nothing ever takes God by surprise. There are mysteries to us and we have to investigate. God has never been puzzled about anything. There's no mystery to him. You don't have to ask the question, who did this and why has that happened? God has never learned anything in the whole of eternity. And we strive, particularly you youngsters here still in school or college, you're looking forward to tomorrow, aren't you? Because you can't wait to get to school. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, you are. Because you want to learn. And there are things you just delight to learn. And God in his gnosis, his knowledge, omniscient, he's never learned anything. Total knowledge of God. But then we have this word Sophia, which is interesting. Uh, it, it, wisdom. Now, what, what is Wisdom. It's one thing to have knowledge, but you can be a fool with knowledge because you can misapply it. You can do the wrong thing uh, with knowledge. 
Two men might have the same amount of knowledge. One is a fool and one is wise. What's the distinction between the two? Well, Sophia, wisdom, is correctly applied knowledge. That's the knowledge. Now I'm going to apply it <coughs> to a situation. And God applies his knowledge to the whole of eternity and to the whole of the universe and to his people and to his church. God uses the best means to the highest goal. And the highest goal is his glory. And he's going to be glorified by getting people like you and me uh, into heaven <coughs> with him for eternity. And he's going to use what we know as the gospel. And he's governing the nations with one objective in view, the salvation of his people and the great glory of his name. There's the wisdom of God. <coughs> the planned outworking of the salvation of his people to his glory. And as Paul has gone through in Romans chapter 1 and through to Romans chapter 11, when he comes to the end of chapter 11, he gives this burst of praise. Now the burst of praise would apply to the whole 11 chapters. But in particular, it applies to what he's been saying about God's plan for his people, Romans 9, 10 and 11, Jews and Gentiles, God's ways in salvation brings out this great burst of praise. All oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. <coughs> and now he qualifies it and expands on it, this wisdom and this knowledge. How? unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. Uh, unsearchable. So it's a negative on a positive. Here you've got a word that means to search and the Greek word means to, to search diligently, to thoroughly investigate. It, it's used in uh, everyday Greek about uh, a dog sniffing something out. Maybe you've got a uh, a sniffer dog somewhere and you unleash it and it, it searches it out, it goes up and down. But uh, no one will ever search out by their own thinking the ways of God. We're told about the Old Testament prophets, how they, and, uh, they, they did this. They, they searched, they tried to sniff out what the Spirit of God was pointing towards as they gave these prophecies about the coming Messiah, how was God going to bring this great glory to his name? How was he going to save his people from their sin? What's actually going to happen? They had it in shadows and types and pictures and prophecies. But what exactly was God going to do? And the angels looking over the battlements of heaven were told this. Even angels long to look into these things. They'd love to sniff it out. But his ways are unsearchable. Who by thinking? I'm sure there's a book. Is it Isabel Kuhn wrote a book? By searching. Who by searching could work these things out? No, his ways are unsearchable. When it comes to his knowledge, you, you can't work it out for yourself. His judgments are un. 
searchable. His decrees, his knowledge, the divine plan of salvation. You could never work it out. How is he going to get people like you and me into heaven? How will he bring about the glory of his name? Oh, it's unsearchable. And then when it comes to his ways, we're still in the area of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. If his judgments uh, pertain to his knowledge, then uh, his ways, here's his wisdom, here's his knowledge. This is what I'm going to do to bring about salvation. But how's it going to work out in practice? Or says Paul, inspired by the Spirit, the ways of God in salvation are inscrutable. Now can you, is there a verb to scrut? I, I don't know. I understand inscrutable. But is there something to, to scrut? Well, you can't scrut it. It's inscrutable, the, the wisdom of God. And this word, um, inscrutable, if there was a word scrut, there is in Greek. I've got it written down, but it's a long one, so I won't try and pronounce it. But it pertains to, to footprints, uh, to footsteps, to tracks. You try and watch where he's going. Here's the knowledge of God, the plan of salvation. Now, how's it going to be put into, into action? You look and you try and work out his footprints. And uh, you can be baffled. Why is that happening to this nation? Why is that king in place? Why is that despot ruling there? Why have they put the Lord of glory on the cross? Why has that saint been taken at this particular point? He was so useful. Why has he been raised to that position of of eminence? Well, the means that God uses to bring about salvation, his, his ways. And Paul says, oh, the depths of the riches, of the knowledge and the wisdom of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, his knowledge, how inscrutable his ways, his wisdom. And then he takes some quotations from the Old Testament. 4, verse 34. Who has known the mind of the Lord, or... Who has been his counsellor? So again, we're on knowledge now. Who's known the mind of the Lord? Here's this, this being now. and The God of the covenant, triune Jehovah, marvels of mercy adoring we see, seeker of souls in the councils eternal. Here's the, the mind of, of God. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counsellor? Well, there, Lord, I understand your mind now. Let me, let me advise you how you should put it into practice. Let me give you a little bit of wisdom. So he's asking questions here. And it comes from Isaiah and uh, Isaiah chapter 40. But it's also repeated, and I'd like us to look at this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul takes it up. These quotations from Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 13. In 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 16, he quotes the same verses again. So here they are in Romans eleven thirty-four. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counsellor? Who has known the mind of the Lord? So God 
in the councils eternal, triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, has counseled together and here is the way of God and the will of God. This is how he'll be glorified and this is how you and I will, will get to heaven. Here's the thinking and the mind of the Lord. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Thinking of uh, human minds now, we are fearfully and wonderfully made and there are some incredible minds around on planet earth and have been uh, in history as well. Think of somebody like uh, Albert Einstein. Uh, think of Stephen Hawking. Let's just take him. I've got a little bit more on, on him here. Here's a human mind, Stephen Hawking. Uh, who has known the mind of Stephen Hawking? Go back to Albert Einstein. Who has known the mind of Albert Einstein? Now, Albert Einstein worked out the theory of relativity. Now, I'm not a stupid man. Some might say I am. My wife might disagree as she's watching from, from home. But um, I've, got, I've got letters after my name. Oh, fine. Okay. I read books on relativity and there are little moments when I think, I think I get that. And then I don't. I couldn't tell you what it is now. I'm supposed to be a clever man. I couldn't stand here and tell you Einstein's theory of relativity because it is really quite baffling. But there are proofs in science to prove that it actually works. Then you get a man like Stephen Hawking. And... Um, he wrote a bestseller, and it's on my bookshelf. It's called A Brief History of Time. Uh, many, many millions of people brought, bought this book, A Brief History of Time, by Stephen Hawking, where he explains Einstein's theory of relativity and brings it more up to date. And he actually writes about it very simply and lucidly. And he said, I want to make it really simple for you. But I've got a copy. Have you got a copy? It's one of the best-selling books, but not many people have read it. And still fewer who have read it understand what it's talking about. And I've read it, and I don't get it. Who understands the mind of Albert Einstein? Who understands the mind of Stephen Hawking? Well, I, I, I don't. Some do. Some do. Some say they do anyway. Whether we believe them or not, I don't know. But I don't understand the mind of Stephen Hawking. I don't understand the mind of Albert Einstein. And so Paul asks a question here. When it comes to the way of salvation and the things that God is going to do, this nation rises, that one falls. Uh, then he brings in the Gentiles and he makes the Jews jealous. And so some of them turn to envy and, go, and come to Christ and, uh, and, and, and uh, God working out. He's put on the olive tree and branches cut off and others engrafted in. And hence all Israel will be saved. And uh, I, who understands this? Who understands these things? Who understands the mind of the Lord? Well, nobody. Nobody. I say nobody. But look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And let me read verse 16, where he quotes the same verse from Isaiah 40 and verse 13. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But 
says Paul, inspired by the Spirit, we have the mind of Christ. Here's the amazing thing. You will not understand the gospel by searching all the ways of the Lord, but by his mercy, if you are a Christian tonight, the Spirit has revealed the mind of God to you and to me. He's enlightened us in such a way that we, by faith, can grasp what the greatest philosopher will never grasp by searching with his human intellect. You and I are given the capacity to understand Romans chapter 11. And if you balked at it, shame on you and shame on me. Get back to it because we have the mind of Christ and it's here for us to understand. Let me read a little bit more around 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It is very, very wonderful. Roman, sorry, 1 Corinthians 2, let's look at verse 6. Let's start at verse 1 because, yeah, we can, let's get back to verse 1. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 1. And I, says Paul, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or, brackets human, wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. There's the wisdom of God. A man crucified on a Roman cross. That's all I want to speak about, says Paul. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not with plausible words of brackets human wisdom. But in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Yet, among the mature, we do impart wisdom, though it is not a wisdom of this age, or of the rulers of this age, who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom from God which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart of man imagined what God has got prepared for those who love him. These things, God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one, has, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Shame on the Christian who says, I can't understand these things. Get back to the simple gospel. 
Now, I love the simple gospel. You, you know that. I've been here 21 years. I love the simple gospel. But these things are written for our understanding. There's that surface gospel, Jesus died for me and I repent and I trust him and I receive forgiveness of sins and peace with God and access into his presence and the certainty of heaven to come. Oh, how I love the simple gospel. But have you and I plunged the depths led by the Spirit of God? Have we been through sections like Romans chapter 11 and have we almost covered our mouths? Oh, the depth and the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counsellor? Yet God has revealed these things to us by his Spirit. We have the mind of Christ and we're able to hang on to and to comprehend these things because he has shared his mind with us And we learn and we're told about these great doctrines of election. God's sovereign choice from eternity past. We learn about his foreknowledge. Progenosco. He loved us before the foundation of the world. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. And he's going to harden the his people Israel and they're going to reject the gospel that's going to bring in this great swathe of Gentiles it'll be preached throughout the world it won't be kept within the confines of Israel because they're going to reject the gospel they'll persecute believers they'll be scattered out and they'll take the gospel to the four corners of the world in the Gentiles having what the Jews sought but didn't find it through their own seeking They're going to be made jealous and some of them will be saved. And towards the end, there'll be a great gathering of Jews and hence all Israel will be saved. Oh, oh, the depths of the riches. Or who has been his counsellor? Who's ever given him advice? Simple answer, no one. Or who has given to him a gift that he might be repaid who is God indebted to when it comes to your salvation and mine who is God indebted to is anybody going to be able to say what a good boy am I I'm going to wave a little flag in heaven and say well no glory to well no most of the glory to God but a little bit to me a little bit to me after all uh, I did have the common sense to believe If that's your thinking, you really haven't understood the gospel because it really is all glory to God and nothing whatsoever to me. It's all of mercy and all of grace and all I'm left with is a sin that made salvation necessary. I say necessary guardedly because there's no reason why God had to save anybody. And have all been written off as all the angels and the very devil of hell has been written off and consigned for judgment. Why would he save human beings? Well, there's nothing, I cannot work that out and it hasn't been revealed, so it remains a mystery. But I thank God there is a way and it has been revealed. If I say there's anything down to me, I haven't understood it. And even those who say that, well, I can wave a little flag because I had faith, write hymns like, "'Tis mercy all, immense and free, for oh my God, it found out me.'" 
Long my imprisoned lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. He's the first mover. I walk the dungeon flamed with light. No, it's by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, that no one should boast, not even the work of, of faith. It was a gift that he gave to me. So I will say now, and I'll say in eternity, tis mercy all, immense and free. For oh my God, it found out me. Now, my friends, tonight, has it found out you? You're a fool if it hasn't. Seek him, make sure you find him. In the gospel, the simple gospel, Jesus Christ died for you. Now, what will you do with this knowledge? The fool just says, that's interesting, or leaves it, or thinks, manana, tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. Repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Do it now. You don't have seven o'clock. You've only got 13 minutes to six. That's all you can rely on. If the Spirit's warming your heart now at home, repent now. And believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, it's all down to his mercy. And Paul concludes, inspired by the Spirit, verse 36. For, is this a mention of the Trinity here? Not all commentators agree. I think there's something of an allusion to it, but uh, we can't be sure. Certainly the triune God is involved. For from him and through him and to him are all things. From him and through him and to him. This is the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Certainly God of the covenant triune Jehovah. The eternal counsels. God is the source of our salvation. God is the accomplisher of our salvation on Calvary. God is the applicator of our salvation through the work of the Holy Spirit. And that being so, the final words in chapter 11. To him be glory forever. That's the great end of it all. That's the purpose of the gospel. I mean, our salvation is a wonderful byproduct, but the number one priority is his glory. So don't take any glory for yourself. Don't wave any little flag of merit for yourself. You have none. You have none. If you're trying to gain some, you haven't understood the gospel. The gospel. It's all glory to God. The greatest end, his glory. All glory to him for how long forever forever and Paul finishes with an amen the great outworking of God's plan of salvation now in the final five minutes let me just do something I found helpful for myself just to apply all this to me personally and to you personally all the depths of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God how unsearchable his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. Think about your life and how you've ended up where you are right now. If you're a believer, never think that your unconverted days were a waste. Oh, God's judgments and his ways and the footsteps, and the things and the pains and the sins that you went through, and not for no reason at all. Having gone through those things, perhaps you can help others. Perhaps you can be more understanding and more compassionate and less bigoted and less arrogant than many people are. 
People look down their noses at those who are, oh, that's beyond their pale. And I can say, and you can say there, but for the grace of God, go, go I. No, nothing is wasted, even your life before your conversion. Now think of how you came to faith. Oh, how unsearchable, how inscrutable. Why did I go through that period? Why did I marry him? Why did I marry her? Why did this happen? Why this illness? And, and I look back at the footsteps, the scrutes of God and the, the pathways and the ways that he led me. And why did I take a job there? Why did I live in that house? Why have I got this many children? And why is my bank balance this? And what? All, all the way. How did I come to faith? Why did I go to that particular place? And, and then I heard this and I read that and I, I picked up this book here. I experienced this joy and this sadness and I met that person quite out of the blue on a train or a, an aeroplane or in a checkout queue and they said to me, and so it led to my salvation. How inscrutable, how unsearchable. And still now in my life, a Christian 45 years old, oh, they the depths of the riches of the knowledge and the wisdom of God, how unsearchable his judgments, how inscrutable his ways, his ways in my life now. We thought about that word this morning, Ebenezer. It's, it's a name. It's given to a man in a Dickens novel, Ebenezer Scrooge. But Ebenezer is a wonderful word. It means, so far the Lord has been my help. I look back on my life as a Christian I can see the ups and the downs, the heartaches, the situations that I've, I've been through, but I can raise the Ebenezer. He's kept me, and here, here I am. And looking back at my life and looking at your life now, what's happening now in your life? Never ask this question, why is this happening to me? Just banish that question. Don't allow it. Say no to that question. Rather, always ask, what can I learn of him in this situation? Lord, your scrut has led me here. I look back, Ebenezer, waving it. There's the footsteps. Here I am. It isn't by any mistake because they're his ways and he's brought me here. What can I learn of him in this situation. And so ends the doctrinal section of this book of Romans. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom of the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counsellor? Or who has given him a gift that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things... To him be glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for a brief time in your word and uh, trying to find words to grapple with the end of Romans 11. It's, uh, it's an impossible task, but we thank you we have the mind of Christ and help us to 
Be led by your Spirit, enlighten, O Lord, enlarge our scanty thought to know the wonders thou hast wrought. Then unloose our stammering tongues to tell thy love immense, unsearchable. As we look into your word, may there be increasingly those times when our hearts melt and our eyes overflow. And may our focus always be on the Lord Jesus Christ to think and to desire nothing else beside him. Help us in these good things, we pray. And watch over us as we move into the practical area of this letter of Paul, inspired by your spirit to the church in Rome. And so to us here in St. Melons, the letter comes. How do we apply the gospel to our lives? How can we be anything but living sacrifices, looking to bring glory to you? Help us, we pray. Amen.